0: Welcome to Let's Talk Death, conversations to inform and inspire. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a nonprofit providing the tools and resources to support one's journey with grief. We seek to empower individuals to achieve a healthy post-bereavement growth. Everything we do is inspired by our core belief that no one should ever grieve alone. Let's Talk Death is a series of conversations with some amazing people from various fields. Our goal through these conversations is to normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Death. I'm Fran Solomon. And I'm Andy McNeil. And we're thrilled to be your hosts for these conversations. Our guest
1: today is Colin Campbell. Colin is a writer and director for theater and film. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Sorayao, a short film he wrote and directed with his lovely and talented wife, Gail Lerner. He has taught theater and or filmmaking at numerous universities and to incarcerated youth through the Usual Suspects Theater Company. Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose is his first book, he also is currently developing a one-person show titled Grief, a one-man shit show. He lives in Los Angeles and sometimes Joshua Tree. And Colin, we are delighted to have you as a guest on our show. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here.
0: Colin, well, before we speak about your book and your work, um, may I take you back in time to that life-changing day in 2019 Can you share your story and put your grief into words?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I had two children, uh, Ruby and Hart. And in 2019, Ruby was 17 and Hart was 14. And the four of us, along with my wife, Gail, we were driving to Joshua Tree. Now, Joshua Tree, for those of you who don't know, is about a two and a half hour drive east of Los Angeles. It's this beautiful uh, little town nestled in this spectacular uh hillside with amazing views and beautiful rocks to climb Uh, and then joshua national park is right there a spectacular park and over the years all four of us have been going there over and over again we loved it we loved scrambling up those rocks and and on a whim in early june we decided maybe we could we could buy a vacation home here and come whenever we wanted it was like amazing we started looking at properties and we fell in love with this beautiful little house Kind of like a, a rustic shack, but an amazing location. And we put an offer in and it got accepted. And it was sort of like a, a, a highlight for our family. I mean, we were we were all just so excited at the possibility of having this little dream vacation home for ourselves. And so a few days later, we were driving back up there because I had a um, meeting with a, a pool builder and, uh, and a construction a supervisor, to to add on to the house, and all four of us piled into the car and drove out that night. And we were hit by a drunk and high driver, uh, and she was going ninety miles an hour in a fifty mile an hour zone. And she was so drunk and high, she never even touched the brakes. She just slammed into us full speed. And in the back seat, Ruby and Hart were killed. And so what, what went from being the, you know, the highlight of our family suddenly became the worst imaginable day for us. Um, and so Gail and I, we went to the hospital. We had, we had some injuries, but they were, they were relatively minor. And then afterwards we came, we came home to an empty house and, and a new life and began the grieving process.
0: Oh, I can't imagine. And, um, for our audience to know, I, um, I was in the community, our children went to the same school. And I remember that your tragedy just shook the community. It was as tears come to my eyes, just unbelievable. Yeah.
2: Thank you. The community was really extraordinary. Um, Campbell hall teamed up with our synagogue, which is called Icar, And they they started a meal train for us, uh, which is such a beautiful, beautiful gesture. And so people um, brought food to us every night. They they fought over the over the opportunity to bring food to us. It was very beautiful um, and very, very loving and supportive. And we were so grateful to have that community behind us.
1: So, Colin, uh, I I noticed as I as I read through your book, this, this reoccurring theme of community and of connection Mm. and the importance of connection. And I know it's interesting to me. I think it's a fresh perspective that you bring where we're even challenging some of the, the, what have become sort of common, uh, common statements that, that maybe grief experts make about grief that, uh, that maybe become can become more isolating. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about just your thoughts about the idea of community and, and what that experience of grief was for you early on and even, even now uh, and what that looks like. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I, I'm not Jewish, but my wife is Jewish and we raised our children as as Jews and they had bar and bat mitzvah. And we were, we were members of our, of our synagogue, active members of our synagogue. And I was raised atheist and, I loved how I was raised, except it gave me no tools for how to handle grief. Uh, culturally, I, I had nothing. I had no idea. Um, it was so overwhelming, so scary. Grief is so scary, especially in the in the early days. And uh, and so I leaned heavily on the Jewish tradition because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and uh, luckily, that there was a lot of uh, rituals, a lot of specific actions that that occur in the early days of grief uh, in the jewish tradition and they opened my eyes to the idea of inviting community in to mourn with me so uh for those of you who don't know uh the first thing that happens is is shiva sitting shiva so for the first seven days after the funeral people of your community come to your house and literally sit with you every night and i wanted to be left alone i thought Right, I'm I'm overwhelmed with grief. What do you mean? People are coming to my house? That's insane. And then a lot of people came to my house. (laughs) Our house was jammed. And at first, I was thinking, this is awful. (laughs) This is an awful tradition. But then, I realized our wise rabbi Sharon Brous turned to us and said, "Do you after after saying some prayers, do you want to say anything to to the people that are here?" And I did. I did want to talk. I wanted to talk about Ruby and Hart. I wanted to talk about wonderful stories about them. And I also want to talk about my grief. I wanted to share what I was experiencing because it was so, at the time, incomprehensible. And the idea that I could actually talk to people who would listen to me and who loved me, I, I found so much solace. It was so helpful. And so... After shiva ended, I was like, "Wait, I'm not done. <laughs> mm. I need to. We're, I need to keep talking to people. I can't be just me and Gail all by ourselves. I mean, mm. help." <laughs> and so right. that really, that really led me to the realization of just how important it is to keep those conversations going. Uh, and 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 I think that so often people leave people alone in their grief. Right. That's just sort of the 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 perceived handed down wisdom. Let them alone. Don't remind them of their loss. Just wait till they're ready to come back to us. And because Shiva taught me how valuable it was to talk to people, I, I, I developed what I call my grief spiel. So, I would, I would pull people aside individually and tell them, uh, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> I need to talk about Ruby and heart. Let's not, you know, beat around the bush. Let's not let's not use euphemisms or, or not mention Ruby and heart. I need you to talk about Ruby and heart. Uh, and it was so helpful for them because they wanted to help me and didn't know how
1: I've heard this very thing from so many people and even a, a project I'm working on separate project uh, where we're, we're interviewing some folks and I've heard over and over this number one, the, the sense of the need, even to just kind of educate people around me because I don't want them to just follow the, the common, this common knowledge that's not accurate. It doesn't accurately reflect what my needs really were at that time or really are now and yeah. and what that looks like. And I've run into so many people who will say to me, you know, everyone just left me after my loss and I'm all alone now. And yeah. I often ask the question and say, well, I'm curious, is there anything you've done about that situation? And quite often it's the answer is no, I, I'm yeah. waiting on someone else to come to me and, yeah. and, and finding myself continuing to be alone
2: yeah yeah and and it's so easy to become so resentful and bitter in grief because you're thinking it's the worst thing in the world happened to me why aren't people reaching out every day why aren't they checking in on me but the truth is that i would have been the same way that if the situation were reversed i would have just left my dear friend alone thinking (laughs) that was the right thing to do and so i think that helped me that the fact that i was You know so so ignorant (laughs) i could now i could now look at other people and be like oh it's okay i i I understand uh and and that that empowered me to more actively reach out and get the support i needed and i think that's that's a a big focus of my book is is helping hopefully (laughs) helping people who are grieving keep those ties not turn bitter and be alone but find ways specific very very explicit ways of reaching out to people, pulling them with you along this journey. I think it's so valuable to not be alone. I know that's a central theme of of Heal Grief as well, to not grieve alone.
0: Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a 501c3. As a nonprofit, we are reliant on the kind generosity of our donors. If you are inspired by our mission, we ask you to go to healgrief.org backslash donations to help us continue our great work, no gift is too small. Alan, I want to ask you: Did your writing start out as an intention to write a book, or were you just jotting down in journaling as a self-healing tool for yourself? How? Did, what? What inspired you to make this into a book?
2: Yeah, um, I think two things. One, I. I sort of all of the above, I, I started journaling right away and, and found that was just helpful to me. And I just wrote, you know, whatever I was thinking and feeling as inarticulate as it was, um, it was just sort of spewing my thoughts and feelings onto the page. But then I also started writing this, this solo show, this one person show, uh, because I'm a theater artist. I come from a theater background. Somehow that, Helped me sort of translate into a monologue what do i want to say to the world um and so i started working on the on that monologue first and that allowed me to sort of express what i needed to express on the page but then just when i was about to perform it for the very first time COVID 19 occurred and all the theaters got shut down and then i was alone with gail uh Everybody was alone. Right, we were all we were all in lockdown, and I started writing with the intention of sharing my thoughts to other grievers. So it became very specifically like, "Wow, I I have a lot to say to the world, but I also have a lot to say specifically to people who are who are in grief uh, that I want to share." Uh, and then it became the book. It became a different voice came in, and it was it was more. I really want to share my experience and my thoughts. And then the act of doing that was also very helpful to me.
1: One of the things that, that I've experienced personally and, and I've found to be true for others who are, who are grieving whatever the the loss might be is this power in being validated by others um, in a similar experience you know, I think it combats in some ways that sense of loneliness and aloneness that can be part of it and, and makes a connection, but it also just validates what I'm going through, that this is this is what this looks like. Um yeah. I personally found found your book to be very accessible in that way. Um and I use that word accessible because I've read lots of books, obviously on grief. Some are less accessible than others. There's a lot of jargon that you have to to go through. But it seemed to me that I I could sense that heart of I I want to put this out there and, and really not just to validate your own experience, but to validate what other people are experiencing and going through. And I, I think it will do that. Um so I'm curious, nice. you know, if that's if you had that in mind as you were going through that and and what that connection was for you um there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, well, I I agree with you completely about the the value of talking with other people who've undergone similar experiences. So, so Gail and I joined several grief groups very early on, the Compassionate Friends, um, which I know I know you're involved with, Andy uh, uh, had involvement with, and that was really helpful. We actually joined two different <laughs> Compassionate Friend groups simultaneously, uh, and also our house is a wonderful organization um, okay. that we joined as well. And that it's a different model. It, the compassionate Friends is open to parents, siblings, and, and grandparents uh, who are grieving, um, but they could be grieving a, a death that occurred. 25 years okay. ago or one that occurred last week. And that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful to have that range, you um, know, in, in one room. But compa- but our house's model um, is also very interesting, which is they grouped together people who've had a very similar loss a very similar time ago. And you yeah. stay there with the same small group for two years. And so, mm. you as a group kind of bond and grow. Mm. And that was also an, an amazing model. So, I, I really mm. valued that. And that allowed me to talk to a lot of people who are grieving. And I think to your point about my book being a validation, I think it, it helped to me. In my book, I share a lot of other people's experiences as well. I, I, I've interviewed a, yep. a, a number of people who are basically friends of mine. <laughs> I just interviewed my friends, sure. um, and they all <laughs> suffered because of this. They've all suffered terrible losses. That's been very valuable. And earlier, but you, you, you sort of hinted at, which is that I talk about um, some sort of perceived wisdom that I sort of go against, which, which I, I think is maybe is interesting to share because so many people say everybody grieves in their own way. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a mantra that that's almost every book and therapist that I've encountered. And I understand the, the idea of saying everyone grieves in their own way. So don't worry how you're grieving and we want to support whatever you're doing is great. But for me in my early grief, it was very unhelpful because yeah. I was like, oh, what do I do with that? All you're saying is whatever I'm doing is okay, but it, I don't feel okay. <laughs> I would like right. some help. <laughs> I'd like some right. guidance. <laughs>
1: right.
2: And in fact, when I talked to other grievers, there was a lot of uh, shared experiences. There was a lot of um, collective wisdom about what grieving is. What is this process that's happening to us? And so that's, I guess, that's one way where I, I differ from a lot of other books. And then I think, I think in a way, we, we all grieve the same way. We, we all grieve by talking about sharing our thoughts, expressing our thoughts or feelings about our loved ones and about our, our grief. That's, yeah. that's literally a central part of the grieving process. Um, and it's not that mysterious. That's the other thing. It's people say, in your own way. I was like, that's so mysterious. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) But no, just talk about Ruby and art and your pain and share it with somebody who wants to listen. And, and you begin to integrate your new reality, which is so challenging for all of us in in profound loss is who are we now? And what is, what is this life we're living? How do we, how do we accept the reality that we've lost somebody forever? It's so challenging. Mm -hmm. It's so hard.
0: So, Colin, yeah. I'd like to suggest that the community and the, the talking about our people that have died is really also part of the healing journey yeah. um, that falls within the grieving process. But um, one of the things that we always um, look to do. Um, move forward with is, you know, we we are grieving and our, our philosophy is that grief is a lifelong journey. It doesn't mean that we're grieving every day, but there are certain times and, and life cycles and moments that bring us right back to that moment of grief. So yeah. once we can embrace the reality that yeah. grief is lifelong, that it becomes part of our journey the rest of our lives, the question becomes, how do we now actively move forward with it? yeah how do we move forward with our life and honor that
2: yeah i I think that's the central question how do we grieve and live because as you say it doesn't go away it's not like i'm i'm done with it now but the same at the same time how do we stay alive to the the present and the joys that are happening right now how do we allow ourselves to feel the pain and the joy um yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong challenge, but I think by embracing it, as you're saying it, it allows us to have a rich and meaningful life.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I think so in a lot of ways. I, I, I've described it for myself different times in my life that, that grief can cast a shadow over everything else in my life. And I don't, and I can't reckon, and it keep, it can keep me from recognizing those things I do have because of these things I don't, or these people who I, who I don't readily have now I I cast a shadow over the things I do. And, and, and that for me has been one of those challenges of, of looking in those shadows to say, wait a minute, you know, I, I still have, I'm, I'm still alive. I have this, but I'm, but I'm also still alive and I have these things as well. And how do I reconcile that? And how do I, you know, live with both of those things? Um, at the same time
2: yeah i love what you said like looking into the shadows i I think that's a a way for me is to not compartmentalize not to sort of try and box up my grief and and then live my life it's in a way how do i bring this grief and and carry it and also carry joy how do i really experience both because i i think that if you try and shut off some feelings you're going to also shut off the good feelings too um yeah so, so I'm all for looking into the shadows as we move
1: forward. You know? Yeah, as we're doing that, I, I had an interesting conversation with a group of people at a TAPS event that I was at, and we were talking about this this concept. And one of the ladies in the room raised her hand and she said, "You know," she said, "For me, it's almost like when when my when my son died, it's almost like a veil was lifted. You know, I, all of a sudden." Mm-hmm. I realized that I had been looking at the world through a veil that you know I believed certain things about the world around me and and now I can't help but see the world not just through the lens of grief but we see the world through the experiences we've lived and I can't help but now see things and and notice things that I didn't notice in the way that I noticed them before. Uh, it's impacted the way I think about when a, a friend of mine has someone die. I now think about that differently and I approach them differently than I would have before. So she gave these examples of how it really changed her. And I'm curious for you if if you had those or if there are things that even surprised you about yourself after, you know, after your your to use your words, your profound loss. Um mm-hmm you know, and how that, I know we're the same person in some ways, but how that, how we've discovered things, maybe, maybe it's more not that we've changed it's that we've discovered things about ourselves. We didn't know. And that does change us. I'm curious if what your experience yeah. has been with that.
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. I, in, in my book, I, I quote Lear because I'm a theater person's Shakespeare's yeah. Lear and he says, yeah. I, I see the world feelingly. And I, I think that, uh-huh. that, that, resonates with me. The idea that sort of you brought up about just feeling more compassion, more empathy for other people who are, who are suffering. Um, yeah. Because I know what grief feels like now. I know the pain. And it's interesting that the idea of post-traumatic growth, um, that a lot of people are mm-hmm. writing about. And, and I think it's real. I also think it's hard. It, it's very hard. Was very hard for me when I was writing this book to to even acknowledge that maybe I I I grew in a way from this terrible tragedy, I didn't want to. I didn't want Ruby and Hart's right. deaths to mean that somehow things got better in any way, right? Like right. no, this is an unadulterated tragedy, and I will not. I will not. It's repulsive to me the idea of post-traumatic growth, right. but but it's true. It's real. <laughs> um, right. You can you can, and very often do if you allow yourself, you, you, you grow from, from pain. I think I definitely, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a stronger person who, who I think appreciates life in a new way, similar to the woman you were talking about in your group. Uh, I value things in a different way um, mm-hmm. that I think is in a, a, a deeper way. Yeah, yeah. My, my friend uh, put it in a really interesting way. I, I was talking to him, uh, he lost his son. Uh, to a tragic skiing accident and and i was talking about how i i can remember what it was like to be carefree sitting around the pool with my children and just i was just carefree and he said yeah but isn't it nice to care <laughs> do we really want to be carefree wow <laughs> and that really struck me it's like oh yeah yeah we we do want to care don't we
1: it's wow. interesting
0: very powerful
1: wow. no, that is, oh my god it's very it's very, it's very powerful. powerful. Well, and you think about, just to use your word, profound loss, just how profound it really is in in things we discover about ourselves. For for years, I struggled over this term resilience, and I've really come down in the place personally that, um, and I understand what we mean by resilience, and resilience is important, and, and I'm not saying it's not. But but resilience always makes me think about like you're pulling a rubber band that snaps back to, to where it was or, or bouncing back to where you were. And the reason I struggled with it is because all the people I talked with didn't bounce back to the way they were they landed in a new place. Like it, yeah. they absorbed, they weren't resilient in the sense that they, it, things bounced off of them. They absorbed the pain. They mm-hmm. lived the pain and that, that landed them in a different place than, you know, that idea of resilience. And I, I, yeah. I really saw that in, in your writing in your book. I'm curious if there's anything else you'd like to share just about your book or, or, or I'm curious about the one man show as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You might want to tell, might want to tell our, our, uh, our viewers. Um, we have a sure. few minutes left. Left, but i'm curious if you just had some things about that
2: yeah yeah well my my, my one person show grief a one-man shit show is <laughs> actually uh it's going to be in new york for three weeks march 27th to april 16th and i think it is uh it's i wrote that very early on in in my grief so it's a very raw and very darkly comedic there's a lot of comedy in it believe it or not hence the, the title um but yeah. uh it is, I think, a, a very interesting journey to go on, even if you haven't lost anybody, to, to just sort of get a window into <laughs> one man's mind. I highly recommend it. <laughs> oh. um, and uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about sharing my book with the world. I, I'm really eager to, to see how it's received and, and yeah.
1: Well, we, we, we do just have a few minutes left, and I am curious if before we uh, close out our time, uh, if if people who are who are listening want to connect with you and your work, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so you can go to
2: Colincampbellauthor.com, dot com, and that's my website uh, for my book, and that has links uh, both to my show and to emailing me, and also I am on Instagram as Colin Campbell Writer, so uh, people can reach me at, at that as well. Yes, I'm a little new to Instagram, but I'm, I'm actually enjoying it.
0: Colin, <laughs> so. we want to thank you so much for being a guest here at Let's Talk Death and for sharing the inspiration behind your book, behind your play, your story. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking with both of you. I really, really appreciate it.
0: If you would like to learn more about Heal Grief, visit us at HealGrief.org to find other conversations Or to inquire about becoming a guest speaker, visit us at healgrief.org backslash Let's Talk Death. And if you feel inspired to support us, remember, no gift is too small. Visit us at healgrief.org backslash donations, or you can donate right through our homepage. Well, that's it until next time on Let's Talk Death, where we normalize, educate, and demystify The taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief.